0: This past week, I got one of the strangest compliments I've ever received, and I'm not gonna tell you who it came from, they'll know who it is, but this person said something along the lines of, of all the pastors I've ever had, you're the one who talks the most, and the most boldly, about sex and money. I think that's good. And it struck me as odd at first, because um, while I do my best not to shy away from any topic that I feel that the Bible speaks clearly to, Internally, I don't always feel the most bold talking about these things. And maybe surprisingly, specifically about money. But these are two enormous chunks of our lives, aren't they? Sex and money. They're at the root of all kinds of trouble that people go through in life. And so, in line with that compliment, since I spoke about sexual immorality last week, I'm gonna take a break from our series in 1 Corinthians to preach about money. This week. Specifically, I want to preach about generosity and giving. Our vision here at Bethany is one of renewal, or you might put it this way our vision is one of revival. We desire to see God renew our hunger for His Word and for prayer and our hunger for His presence among us. We desire to see God renew our heart for proclaiming Jesus boldly in the Pioneer Valley and around the world to renew our hope for the future and what God has for us in this church, to be leaning forward in our attitude and our hearts and our faith into what God has prepared and to renew our hospitality toward the lost and toward one another. I want you to consider this story of renewal that took place during the reign of King Hezekiah in the Old Testament. The nations of Israel and of Judah had largely turned away from worshiping God. They'd largely turned away from keeping his word. They strayed into idolatry, and the temple that was built for God in Jerusalem was in disrepair. It was actually being utilized to worship idols and false gods, and the priests and Levites weren't organized, they weren't prepared to serve the Lord, and when King Hezekiah came to the throne, the Lord stirred up in him a desire to renew these things, to revive worship for the Lord, and so King Hezekiah sought the Lord, and he began renewing the temple where God was worshiped, he began renewing the priests and Levites who were to lead that worship, and he began to encourage renewal among the people themselves. And Hezekiah sent a message to the people. In Second Chronicles 29, 31, it says, You have now consecrated or set yourselves apart for uh, the Lord. Come near. Bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And then it says that this is how the people responded. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and all who were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. These offerings that they brought were offerings of value. They had both a financial significance for the people and a spiritual significance. Thank offerings weren't required by the law, but they were required for the renewal of the heart. The people brought so many sacrifices to the temple that the priests and the Levites couldn't keep up. And the author summarizes in 2 Chronicles 29 36 saying, and Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because God had provided for the people, for the thing came about suddenly. The people brought the offerings, but notice that it says that God provided for the people. And this shows that this was not just a physical, external renewal of the temple, but it was a renewal of the people's hearts toward God, their desire to serve and to worship God as he had instructed them. It was God's work in their hearts, but they responded to what God was doing. For us, generosity and giving should be the same. You can't buy renewal. You can't purchase revival. But... You can stifle renewal because maybe you refuse to respond to God's leadership in your life. And God wants us to respond. And he doesn't want us to respond begrudgingly. He doesn't want us to respond under pressure. This is how the Apostle Paul describes the motive of giving. And I'm sure you're familiar with this if you've been in church long. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11, he says this. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So clearly in both of these passages, Old Testament and New Testament, there's a tie between giving and a generous heart and a renewal of the heart toward God. There's a tie between how we respond externally and how we respond internally and how we receive God's blessing in our lives of righteousness and of renewal. And I want to point out a couple of principles from this passage from 2 Corinthians about what it means to be a faithful giver. First, you can expect God to reward generosity toward his kingdom, Now, I'm not talking here about a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that you can purchase grace, that you can put God in your debt. You can't do those things. I'm not suggesting that giving means that God will make you wealthy in a worldly sense or that you won't have any troubles nor am I saying that you won't ever have any financial concerns if you give. I don't make the promises, and so I, I'm not going to tell you that if you, are to, if you were to give $100 today that God's going to give you $200 this week. But God's Word does make some promises about giving to God's purposes, and one of those is this, that if you sow bountifully, you will also reap bountifully. And the word bountifully can be translated as blessing. If you sow with blessing, if you're cheerful, if you're not resentful, if you're generous and not stingy, you can expect God's blessing. And this is an agricultural metaphor about planting something and then seeing it grow. So think about that for a moment. Implicitly, this includes the idea of multiplication. If you plant one seed, one grain of wheat for instance, it will produce one plant, it will produce one stock. But that plant will produce 35 to 50 new grains of wheat. And that's the image that Paul is using here. It's not an image of getting back what you've given, but of a blessing that multiplies beyond simple compensation. And I want to share with you a story about this this morning, and it's not my story, so actually I want somebody else to share it with you. He came to me, uh, or I was speaking with him a few weeks back, and he shared this story of God's blessing and multiplication in his family's life. And so I wanted to ask Brad Martin if he would come and share with you a story about how God multiplied uh, his blessing in his life during a challenging moment.
1: There you are, if you don't recognize it, it's where we're standing right now. That's what this property looked like in late 1980, beginning in 1981. It was a cornfield, Uh, apropos. And um, in a minute, you're gonna see another uh, uh, slide, but for the moment, some people think that this building just kinda sprung out of a cornfield and it really didn't. In a few minutes, Pastor uh, Stephen's gonna talk about some things and some of them may seem a little dire and and, and a little uh, disturbing, but trust me, nothing is as bad as September of 1981. At the beginning of 1981, we started to build this church Interest rates were 18%, and we couldn't afford that. But through a series of events, we got led to a group in Texas that uh, was going to supply a loan to us for $2 million at 10%. This loan was going to come from a European family who had an American son-in-law, who wanted to lend money to churches. He was uh, introduced to us by an Assemblies of God deacon in California who had all sorts of great reviews. And so with that, which we had in writing, and $600,000 in the bank, we started to build Bethany. We used up our $600,000, and so we started to make arrangements to get the loan that was promised to us. And along the way, construction continued to go uh, to the tune of another $500,000. A lot of excuses as to why the money didn't come. Delays, tariffs, all sorts of reasons, but we found ourselves in September uh, of 1981 without any funds. I was told that... The funds would come from the Swiss International Bank in Mexico City. You can laugh, it's okay. (laughs) It gets worse. So my job, I was 26 years old. I was a new lawyer, hadn't done anything quite like this before. My job was to call the Swiss International Bank in Mexico City. I called several times. There was no answer. So I'm thinking, well, I must have the time frames wrong. Maybe, you know, everything's different. So finally, I get through. I get an answer. Hola. (laughs) I was supposed to be asking for Mr. Rodriguez. Is Mr. Rodriguez there? Who, who speaks Spanish here? How do you say who? <laughs> Quién. That's what he said. Quién. Who? I said, Is this the Swiss International Bank? See, si, see, si. Swiss International Bank. There was no Swiss International Bank, there was no money. And there was no funds coming. Pretty bad. It gets worse. In September of 1981, we had two staff members who created havoc in the church, and they got summarily dismissed within a week of each other. At the same time, on September 21st, 1981, my father, who had been a longtime board member uh, of the church and was on the construction committee, died in 56, suddenly. And Pastor Berkey was having all sorts of heart problems, which subsequently led a few years later to open heart surgery. The building looked like that for nine months. And so we went through the winter into the spring, got to skip a lot of good parts, but miraculously God performed a miracle and we got a loan commitment from a bank in May. The only condition was this church, which was then about the size we are today, had to raise $300,000 in order to show good faith. We had a special service on May 4th, Um, Of 1982 and we raised almost $300,000 by raising pledges. My wife and I were recently married. We didn't have a lot of money. Uh, I wasn't making very much. She was a secretary making almost as much as me. And to show you how bad it was, I was driving a 1973 Chevy Vega. So that puts me somewhere below the poverty line. But we made a pledge of $1,000. Now this is 41 years ago. We didn't have the money. And as we were having Sunday dinner, my mother, who many of you will remember, who had this great habit of interjecting yourself in every part of our lives, <laughs> said, what was your pledge? And I told her, and she said, what are you, crazy? Why are you doing that? You don't have the money. And we just said, look at, you know, this is what we've got to do. If I've got to drive to the Vega for a couple more years, and we won't take a vacation. That's what's going to happen. So I told you that story to tell you this one. So May 25th, we got our loan closed, and we never looked back from, as far as the church went and uh, the church got built. Two days later, I was um, walking down East Columbus Avenue, going to the courthouse, and at the corner of East Columbus and Pension Street, I ran into another lawyer. Didn't know him very well, an acquaintance at best. We started to walk together. He asked me how I was doing, and normally you say, fine, right? That particular day, I decided to unburden myself to this relative stranger. I wasn't happy with my job. I wasn't making any money. There was no future. Things weren't going that great. And I'm sure he was saying, whoa, 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 whoa. too much information. We made it a block away to the courthouse, shook my hand, and uh, we left. That afternoon, he called me up and said, hey, I heard what you said this morning, and I think, you know, we have a position here in our office, which was one of the largest firms in the city. He said, I think one of my partners would like to talk to you. Next day, they called me up. I had lunch. After lunch, they said, can you wait five minutes? I said, sure. Came back and said, we'd like to offer you a job. Right. And the job they were offering me was going to pay me $8,500 more than I was making. So they said, look at, go home, talk to your wife, think it over. He said, no, 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 no. No. I shook his hand. I said, I don't have to talk to my wife. My wife was working in the same building two floors down. I went downstairs. They said, you're not going to believe this. I just got offered this job. They're going to pay me $8,500 more. She goes, you took it, right? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Every now and then I would think, boy, what a great blessing that was. You know, and it, it's almost, it's almost ten times what my our pledge was. Christmas came and I got called into the partner's office and they gave me something I'd never gotten before in my life, a Christmas bonus of twenty five hundred dollars, which came out to eleven thousand dollars, which was 11 times more than our pledge. And I can only think of God saying, well, yeah, right? What did you think was going to happen? So I hope, look, that's one experience. There are people here, and I know who they are, that have had similar experiences. Um, And that happened 41 years ago. My wife and I have been married 42 years. I can give you 42 more stories about God's faithfulness in meeting every single need that we ever had. But I hope, you know, people are encouraged by the fact that God responds to faith. One of my great uh, favorite uh, verses is in Proverbs 11:24. 24. It says, there is that scatters and yet increases. But if you withhold unjustly, it leads to poverty, okay? And scattering and increasing are those things which I think as Christians we need to uh, make part of our lives. And I hope that today you've been encouraged by this and every time you drive by this building you're gonna remember something about
0: God's faithfulness. That's the story of God's multiplied reward. And I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 9 11 again. It says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The enrichment that God gives is not just a one-time reward or a payback. It's an ongoing opportunity for generosity. Apparently, God gives those who are generous more opportunity to be generous, And the goal of that is not the enrichment of ourselves, but the ability to participate in God's work to increasing degrees in our lives. This is the law of the harvest. It is the principle of stewardship. When God sees that you can be trusted with a little resource, he will entrust you with a little more. When he sees that you can be trusted with a little opportunity, he will entrust you with a little more. That's true spiritually. It's also true with your skills and your talents and your time, and it is true with your finances. But here's the thing. You can't harvest what you don't sow. If you haven't planted, you can't expect a harvest. You don't go out into your backyard and stare at the lawn expecting tomatoes, cucumbers, and peppers to pop up, do you? Because you've not planted tomatoes, cucumbers, and peppers. You don't stare at your grass thinking something will spontaneously pop up. But some people want to act like that with God. They want God to give them a harvest where they haven't planted and I emphasize again that giving is not to manipulate God or get him to give you something. But if we desire greater opportunity for more generosity in our lives, if we want to have bigger impact in our valley, if we want to have a greater influence worldwide because of our ability to give generously to missions and projects, we have to plant generously as well. We have to be willing to plant the seed so that God can bring that harvest So I just want to ask you, have you sown sparingly and expected a huge harvest? Have you withheld generosity from others and expected to be treated with generosity? Do you withhold giving to the church but have high expectations of what the church or God will do for you? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That reward can come both in the present and it can come in the future, and that's where I wanna turn next with you. Your second principle of giving is you have to look to the future. We can expect God's reward when we give, and that's clear in the Bible, but God's reward isn't always just financial, and it's not always immediate. Consider Paul's image again. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Do you have any gardeners here today? Anybody have a garden in their home? How many times have you planted a seed in the morning and gone out in the afternoon to check if it had fruit on it yet? <laughs> no, you don't do that, do you? How many times have you, have you uh, planted a seed and then eaten the fruit the next day or the next week even? Never, because that's not how it works. And my point isn't that God never acts quickly when we give, because sometimes God speeds things up. He speeds up the process. When we are obedient to him in generosity, we can expect that he will meet our needs, and if our needs are immediate, we should trust him to meet them. But giving also involves a long view. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew six nineteen to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The vision we should have for giving it involves both years ahead and into eternity. And there are some people in our congregation who were part of the giving challenges of the past. Some of you may remember the project that Brad just showed on the screen when this building was being built, or maybe you remember when the addition of the lighthouse and the children's wing was added, and we, we, uh, we know that, that God supplied and he provided at that time, but I wonder if... They could have looked down the road, and and maybe forty years later, how much anticipation there was that their giving would still be impacting people in twenty twenty two. They hopefully had some future in mind, but they couldn't have known the specifics yet, could they? they? They couldn't see Lewis and Angie giving their lives to Christ in 2021. They couldn't look into the future and see Judy, led by the Holy Spirit, waiting for Mike in the parking lot to invite him to dinner with friends and then invite him to come to Wednesday night church and the eternal impact that that would make in Mike's life. They couldn't see Tia or Robert or Shanice who have all responded to the gospel recently But they did have the vision to believe that God wanted to do something through this church in the Pioneer Valley for decades to come. That's giving to the future. And we don't know yet what impact their giving will have in heaven. We won't know its full effect until the resurrection and we are in eternity. But they had the faith to lay up for themselves treasures in heaven Faithful giving requires that we believe God will use our gifts far beyond our ability to get pleasure out of our own money, and so it presents a very real, personal opportunity for the demonstration of our faith. Do I really believe eternity matters more than the current world? If so, I will both live toward and give toward eternity. We don't know the names of those who will be saved as a result of this church's ministry in the next decade. We don't know what young people are gonna be called into ministry at a rally or a conference or in our our children's church or in our youth group. We don't know the number of lives that may be impacted by in eternity as people are baptized in the Holy Spirit and boldly share their faith with Jesus at their workplace. We may not even be around to see some of them but we do have the kind of vision that will motivate giving so that a harvest can be reaped in the years and decades to come and even into eternity. Can we look down the road and say yes, I wanna participate in how God's work will impact the next generation. We want the work of God through this church to remain strong in the Pioneer Valley for the next 40 years. We want it to outlast us. We want to harvest beyond what we can see immediately in front of our eyes. Many of us are the harvest of that kind of vision. So let's believe God for a harvest that outlasts us and for a treasure in heaven, and let's give with generosity that demonstrates faith. Two principles of faithful giving are just that you can expect God to reward generosity toward his kingdom, and you have to look to the future. And the final principle I want to highlight this morning is that you have to give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9-7 teaches, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In just a minute, I'm going to describe a need, and I'm going to ask you to be generous. And my goal is not to squeeze you for money by putting a guilt trip on you. In fact, Quite the opposite. My goal as I've read and studied Second Corinthians 9 this week, and God's own work in my heart has been that I want to respond out of a place where I cheerfully believe that as I give, God will meet my needs. If I don't believe that, then I kind of wonder what business do I have preaching the gospel. If I don't believe that, I kind of wonder what business do we have calling ourselves Christians and saying our faith is in Jesus and not in this world. My goal is not to squeeze you for money. In fact, I want you to be able to give cheerfully with a faith in Jesus that is renewed. The reason that this is so important that we talk about money in church is that our attitude toward money, which is revealed by what we do with our money, matters to God. It's important because if we don't learn to give cheerfully, we're gonna miss out on a great opportunity for joy. We know that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So in a general sense, we already know that God loves us. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writes that God loves a cheerful giver. What does it mean if God already loves us to say that God loves a cheerful giver? Maybe we could use parenting as an example. If you have kids, I trust that you love them. Hopefully you love your kids even when they are brats, and inevitably they will be sometimes. And when you tell them to clean their rooms and they whine and complain and drag their feet, you still love them, hopefully. And when you make them do the dishes to protest that sounds like they're uh, they're under some kind of oppression, you still love them. But let's be honest, you love them more when they do it cheerfully, don't you? You love them more. I don't mean love in the ultimate sense, that you wouldn't give yourself for them, that you won't take care of them no matter what. I don't mean it like that. You love the attitude they're presenting. You love the character they're demonstrating. You love it when they do it the right way with the right attitude. And are you more likely to reward a child who does the dishes spitefully or one who does the dishes cheerfully? Probably cheerfully, right? Unless you're just bribing them. Maybe another example would be a server at a restaurant. Do you love a cheerful server? When a server acts like you're stupid for asking a question about the menu, makes you feel rushed to order your food, and doesn't come back to check on you, do you love that? I mean, you might still love the person in an ultimate sense. Hopefully you do, but you don't love them as a server, do you? You wish you had a different server. And Who are you more likely to reward with a generous tip, a cheerful server or an entitled server with a bad attitude? And so it is with God. I wanna be careful not to make you think that you can earn God's love, you can't. That has been given to you through Jesus. But if you're asking, how can I be pleasing to God? What is it that God desires from his children? Well then, 2 Corinthians 9 answers that question. He loves it when they give cheerfully. And as we heard earlier, he rewards it. Why is this so important to God? Because cheerful giving demonstrates faith in him. If you can gladly give, it shows that you trust him to provide. Not only that, but it demonstrates your priority. If you're cheerfully giving, it shows that you believe it is better to use your money to honor God than to seek pleasure. It's a tangible demonstration of the claims you make with your lips and the fact that you say, I believe in Jesus. And what's more, he loves cheerful giving because he, it demonstrates that you're becoming like him because God is a generous giver. But think about it. Everything that you have is from him. He's given you your life. He's given you the ability to make resources. He's put those things in your hand. He's given you your salvation. He's demonstrated his own beauty and power in his creation, and he gave his son Jesus so that you could be saved. No one should feel pressured to give to the church. Neither should you give resentfully. You should decide in your own heart what you wanna give, and you should do it cheerfully. And we preach and practice cheerful giving because we're blessed when we give that way. Faithful giving means expecting God to reward generosity toward his kingdom, having a vision for the future, and giving cheerfully. And I'm teaching about this this morning because I wanna talk to you candidly about where we are as a church financially. And and I wanna show you a couple of things and then ask for your help. Over the course of the last number of years, our tithes and offerings have, for the most part, declined year over year. And so we shared this at the business meeting, but this is just from 2017. And and except for 2018, where there's a slight bump year over year, tithes and offerings have been declining. And not unexpectedly, COVID seemed to exacerbate that trend, and we were able to steward our resources well throughout COVID, and due due to funds that we received because we kept staff through COVID, we were even able to pay off our mortgage, which has been a great benefit to us. And in addition, we've made some changes that have reduced our budget, and we have done our best to be frugal. But the trend accelerated in the fall of last year and has continued into this year. And so if you could show that next slide, year over year, we're significantly down this year compared to the same time last year. And so that just demonstrates uh, every month, the light green is last year and the blue is this year. And so to this point, uh, comparing year to year, we're down about $100,000 in tithes and offerings from last year. Now, there's some good news. Our, our missions faith promise giving is strong, and it's actually up a little bit from last year. But we're down almost $100,000 January through April this year compared to last year. And that's a significant drop during a period when our average attendance on Sunday mornings hasn't decreased, but has actually increased slightly. And there could be a number of things that contribute to that decline. The the government has stopped sending us monthly checks and gas and groceries and basically everything is more expensive. And rather than fear decreasing because we seem to be on the back end of COVID, world circumstances seem to be evoking more fear and more uncertainty in people's lives about the future. At the same time as this is taking place, we're quickly coming to the point as a congregation, where we need to undertake some major renovations, not out of vanity, but out of necessity. It's not only that our facility is aesthetically dated, but we also have maintenance and safety issues that are going to need to be addressed very soon, not to mention a desire to demonstrate through what we have and what we, how we steward it, that God has given us vision for the future and hope for what he wants to do. However, if our finances kinda continue on the trend that they are on right now, it's gonna be difficult to take care of that need anytime in the near future. But God has given a vision of renewal in this place, not just in the building, but in us as a people and in our mission to this valley. It's a vision of overflow. It's a vision of an overflow of God's presence. Ministry doesn't stop because money stops. Ministry can occur where there isn't money. But ministry of the kind and the scale and the opportunity that God has given us in the present and in the recent past does require resources. Furthermore, God gives us the privilege of taking care of his resources and he expects us to invest them in his kingdom's work. And so I want you to think about, with me, about a place where you come and you experience the powerful presence of God in such a way that it spills out of here into the rest of your life. That it spills into your family and that you're discipling and raising your children well and it impacts how you talk to your coworkers, and even how you have boldness to share Jesus. It impacts how you pray and you believe that God is going to move in the lives of your loved ones. It affects your interactions in the community with joy and the presence of the Holy Spirit as they overflow in your life. You may share your faith with a neighbor and then when they come to Jesus, you pray with them and you encourage them in reading the scripture and you strengthen their faith and then they may share their faith with their family and their kids and their kids may share it with their kids that's the kind of multiplication or the overflow that i mean when i say that we want to renew our foundation for an overflow of god's presence in the pioneer valley and around the world and you can't buy that kind of overflow you can't purchase renewal but you can stifle what god wants to do If we're hard-hearted and we're stingy, if we allow fear in the present circumstances of our world to overwhelm our faith so that we pull back on how bold we are in sharing our faith with others or in how generous we are in giving, if we fail to believe the promises of God that he's gonna provide for our needs and that we can give generously and he will enable us to give more, then we may indeed stifle renewal. It's difficult to imagine hearts that are overflowing with the presence and the power of God and are at the same time financially fearful and lacking generosity. When I first became lead pastor in 2019, I immediately sensed that we'd come to a moment that really challenged us spiritually and financially and that how we responded in that moment would make a profound impact on the future and would set a tone for what God wanted to do for us long into the future. And As we went through COVID, that was obviously challenging, but I didn't think that that's what I sensed at the beginning of my tenure as, as pastor. Now we're seemingly on the back end of COVID, and things haven't just returned to normal automatically, and I suspect that as a congregation, we're reaching a point in the life of our church where we're going to be challenged. In fact, I want to challenge you this morning, challenge you spiritually and financially, and I don't think that's an odd thing. In fact, I think it may be a very good thing, because as we've heard this morning, this is not the first major challenge that this congregation has faced. As we heard earlier, there was extreme financial difficulty that occurred when this building was being constructed, and the congregation had to put a pause on it for a few months, but then responded in faith, and God met the need. I've heard of tumultuous seasons in decades past where division on the staff and, uh, took place and tensions were high in the congregation. But what happened in these circumstances was that believers were challenged to step up in faith and in love and to grow together. They were challenged to pray, to believe God for provision, and they were challenged to give sacrificially to see the vision that God had given them for the future come to pass. And I believe that we're coming to that kind of point for this generation of the church. Because many of us have not been challenged in that way. Many do give generously and yet perhaps have not been challenged to see what God will do when after hearing from him, joyfully respond and give more and trust him to provide. Others may not think that the church has a need for them to give and so they haven't given. Still others may think that giving is just an external matter and it's not really a spiritual matter. We haven't had to respond to a challenge like this and trust God to provide, even as we trust him enough to give. But I think that this may be a pattern that God allows so that each generation in the church can learn to trust him and express their priority and faith in him again. And we want to respond to this challenge with faith and generosity and not out of fear. At our last board meeting, the board and I spoke about presenting the need clearly to you, Showing you what's going on and then challenging ourselves to give generously by increasing our weekly giving And this may seem bold, but this is what we talked about This is what we are praying about and this is what we want to ask you to seek the Lord about and to participate in We would love to see our monthly tithes and offerings increase by about $40,000 a month That sounds like a lot In fact, it may sound insurmountable. Let me break it down for you. It could look something like this. If we had 10 people who were able to give $150 a week, 15 who could give hundred a week 75 who could give 50 a week a hundred people or families who could give 25 a week a hundred people or families who could give ten dollars a week more than they're currently giving then we would reach that number of about 41,000 or to make it even simpler if we just had 200 families or individuals who could give fifty dollars more a week than they're currently giving we would reach that number of $40,000 a month or any combination of those. Those are just examples. And I want you to know that the church leadership, the board and myself and Andrea, we're in agreement with this. Andrea and I have talked and prayed, and we are increasing our weekly giving through the end of this year. And at our last meeting, our board all agreed that they were going to do the same Because we're not going to ask you to do something that we are not willing to do, nor ask you to invest in something that we do not believe in. In addition, I want to share this with you, that we recently received uh, an anonymous offering from an anonymous donor of $35,000. And while it was a gift with no strings attached, and I don't even know who it was, the person just said this, I would like it to be used to encourage others toward generosity, especially as you're approaching a need to renovate your facilities. And so I wanna encourage you with that this morning. In fact, for the month of May, we're almost there to that number that we would need to reach of 40,000 because of this generosity, but don't let that keep you from getting involved and giving and and participating in that giving. So in the month of May, we've almost reached that goal, but I wanna challenge you as the congregation to help us with this need for the next seven months through the end of the year. Because we're gonna need, as we move into a time where we need to renovate the sanctuary, to demonstrate that we have the resources to be able to accomplish that, to be able to do it. I wanna ask if you'll trust God to reward you as you cheerfully give with an eye to the future of what God wants you to do through this church. Now, we're not gonna use pledge cards to do this or anything like that this morning, instead, As I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and as they do, and they're going to play a song for us again, and as they play and as they sing, I want you to ask the Lord what He would have you to do, how He wants you to respond. I won't know either way, and so this isn't a pledge card. It's not a drive. It's just an opportunity for you to say, "I want to be involved." Maybe if you're with your family or you're with your spouse you can quietly pray together and ask, what would the Lord have us to do? Simply ask what he wants you to give, how he wants you to respond, and then settle in your heart that you're gonna do that this morning, that you're gonna, that you're gonna give an increase throughout the rest of this year and trust him to provide. I, don't, I do want you to know that uh, if you're with us on this, that we wanna encourage one another. And so we're not asking you to share the amount or anything like that, but that, this is where that text response comes in. As you sense the Lord lead, I want to ask that as you as you sense what He's doing in your life, don't send us the amount you're going to give or anything like that. But will you just send a word of affirmation or encouragement that will encourage the church? And as you do, uh, as you send those in, it will take a few a, a moment or so, but you'll see those words come up on screen. Maybe you just want to say, "Yes, I'm willing," or "I'm in," or "We're in," or "Trusting God," or uh, Cheerfully or gladly or generously, but just send a brief response so that we can see that we're in this together, that God is going to use us together to accomplish what He's put on our hearts to do. Again, We're not asking you for an amount, but just for an affirmation before the body of Christ that you want to participate. Your name won't be on the screen. It'll just be that encouraging word to let us know that we're united in this. And if you're not very tech savvy and and you still want to participate, we're going to collect the offering in just a moment. Uh, And when we do, if you just want to write on your offering, offering envelope that word of encouragement, yes. We're, in, we're here, or uh, we are participating, just to let the body of Christ know that we are participating in this together. The worship team is gonna sing this song available, and as they do, will you just quietly before the Lord ask him, what would you have us to give? What do you want us to do? What do you want me to give, Lord? And then just respond with affirmation, yes, Lord, I'm available, and I wanna participate in what you're doing in this church.